great moments are born from great opportunity. Last name ever, first name greatest. Like a sprained ankle, boy, ain't nothing to play with. Again. But before you can ever reach anything, you have to believe it. You don't just mistakenly become great at something. Now go out there and take it. The Wahling and Owen show here on a Wednesday. You know, it's a little it's a little rainy out today, but we'll try to try to keep the uh, the energy levels up here on a Wednesday. Tomorrow, football Thursday, of course, so that'll be exciting. But a lot going on in the New York sports world. Of course, the Yankees dropped game two to the Rays last night. The Jets might be uh, without Sam Darnold this weekend. And, of course, around the, you know, down to Florida where the Lakers have taken a three-to-one lead in the NBA Finals, but we start, Matt, with the Yankees, who, as I mentioned, dropped game two, but the biggest point and the biggest story to come out of that game is their use of the opener. They roll out Davey Garcia for game two. You think he's going to be the starter. You think he's going to give you, you know, maybe four to five innings. I mean, Aaron Boone said he's going to be on a, a short leash. They end up only giving him one inning. He allows the home run, but he only throws 27 pitches. Jay Happ comes in. You know, trying to play a little cat and mouse with that Rays lineup that featured five lefties in it last night. And Happ ends up getting torched. And now it looks like, you know, that, that was a big swing game. You know, the Yankees could have gone up 2-0. to zero. They end up going tied 1-1 to one going into game three tonight. And, you know, Matt, I want to get your thoughts first on the decision-making uh, by, you know, I say Aaron Boone, but, you know, this is a decision that was bigger than Aaron Boone. But uh, what did you make of, of the decisions the Yankees made last night? I hated the decision. I thought it was, it was so – it was too cute for me. And I get it. I like the idea of it. I think in a non-COVID world, it would have worked because you get off days. But for me, when you have to play five straight games and you can't afford to tax pitchers unnecessarily, that's exactly what the Yankees did because you took out two starters that, you know, on a good day, both can give you five, six innings. You know, J-Hab didn't look great, but – who knows, maybe if he, if he plays in game four, if he played in game four, he could have given you something. You know, for Davey Garcia, maybe we see him in a bullpen role, but that's not his style of pitching. He's a 21-year-old. You want to make sure that he's being put in a position that helps him succeed the most. And him starting a game and going four innings is easier for him than him having to come in for a couple innings here and there as, as a reliever. And that's what really kind of bothered me and frustrated me is that you have five four good starters maybe between you know Tanaka you've got Cole you've got Garcia and you hope that either Hap or Montgomery can figure it out and be that that extra guy that you need and when you make this move you're basically saying okay two unknowns in Garcia and Hap are gonna have to figure things out you know those are the two guys that are gonna have to figure out and put things together and on top of that you don't have a bullpen you don't have a great bullpen this year unlike last year and you can't afford to put all those guys on display and really put the pressure on them. And that's exactly what you did last night. And you'll continue to do for pretty much the remainder of the series after game three. I think my biggest problem with, with the use, and I actually like the thought process behind this strategy. You know, maybe they were getting too cute, which seems to be kind of the, the general consensus is that the Yankees tried to do too much in, in game two, the thought behind using an opener and then going to J half, I think is fine. 
But if I think if you're going to use an opener, why not use a guy like Chad Green and then have Jay Happ, you know, piggyback off him, a guy that's used to being in that opener role. You save Garcia for game four. And, you know, Happ, I think, wasn't the right guy for this. You know, if you had a shutdown lefty, you know, maybe if James Paxton was healthy enough, you know, stuff like that, you'd use a guy like him in that in that situation. But I think the reason why it didn't work was because it was Jay Happ. And he, you know, he's been a little bit up and down. I thought he pitched well in September. Whereas Garcia really fell off towards the end of the year. But if you're going to start either one of them, why not just give them, you know, either go Chad Green to open or pick one of Garcia or have to just start the game and pitch like a traditional starter, even if you know he's only going three, four innings. Because I think Boone was expecting to get maybe three innings out of Garcia. I don't think he was expecting much more. I think they were using this as a game to to kind of test the waters for Garcia because you know you're going to need him moving forward in this series, in the potential ALCS, the potential World Series. I just don't think this was the right combination of guys to do it with when you have, as you mentioned, a young guy in Davey Garcia who hasn't been in the opener role before. And then you go to a guy in Jay Happ who's who's really struggled. And before I throw it back to Matt, I do want to read this quote from Aaron Boone. He said uh, about the Rays, the roster is built to take the platoon advantage. Felt like I was going to Jay Happ pretty early and aggressively if they want if they went with a lefty uh, heavy lineup. And that was the reason. It was a little lineup-based, but Garcia kind of labored a bit in the first inning. But that was the plan all along. We were going to go short with him all the way to have him available later on in the season or in the series. So I think Boone didn't want to make this move as early as he did. And looking back, I think that was probably the biggest mistake of it all. And I think part of it was him saying, we're basically saying, look, if we throw Garcia, they're going to put out a ton of lefties because that's the matchup that favors the Rays. And to me, I understand. I don't understand the lefty-righty matchup. I I get that it's a thing, but to overweigh that and say, okay, we're going to take out a good pitcher after one inning because of too many lefties, to me is is asinine. Garcia shouldn't be starting Game Two of the playoffs if he can't handle five lefties. He he just shouldn't. He won't be a starter in this league if he can't deal with lefties. And for them to choose now as the as the the time to make that decision and put that role in there is ridiculous it's such a high magnitude game where this could have been game three tonight could have been win or go home it could have been the yankees win and advance with tanaka on the mound something that you maybe didn't expect against the rays given how good they've been and how much they've beaten up on the yankees but it feels like they threw this game away and not on purpose but it just felt so useless and half's not a guy that's used to going up after the opener He's not used to being a, a reliever type guy. And, and Luke, we talked about before the show, he was frustrated about it in his post game. You know, he pretty much said, and, and you can analyze it all you want. He wasn't ready for this. He wasn't expecting, or maybe he wasn't ready for it, but he doesn't like this type of role. And why put someone in a role in the playoffs that they're not used to when the simple alternative is give Garcia five innings, you know, have him throw a hundred pitches because look, he gave up a run off a home run. But other than that, he was okay. He was fine, and your bats have been so hot. You could have afforded to see Garcia go five innings and just kind of mash your way through it and just hope for the best there. I think the problem with Hap and, and kind of what he was saying after the game was he knew he was pitching in this game. You know, Boone had said, you're going to be coming in after Garcia. But from what Hap had said after the game, he said, Boone told me I was coming in after a certain guy, you know. So maybe it was a right-hander, and they're going to bring him in for you know the next three lefties or something like that. Hap wasn't expecting to enter this game in the second inning. I think that's what kind of irked him and what made him feel uncomfortable in the situation. You know, in every question, it seemed like Hap was, you know, to at least three to four of the questions I heard in the postgame, Hap was saying, 
You'll have to ask. Uh, you have to ask Aaron Boone about that. You'll have to ask Aaron Boone about that. You know, he really was deflecting, and he's not. He's not saying that he didn't play a role. You know, he said, "I have to be better. I'm going to give 100 percent no matter what role I'm in." But I think that he was just so uncomfortable going in in that in that second inning. You know, where he ends up letting up two home runs, and I think that was the biggest issue because you know, at the time of this, I was I was very shocked when I saw Jay happen in the second inning. But then I thought about it. I was like, okay, I kind of see what's going on here. But it just felt like one of those moves where if Hap imploded, which he did, the Yankees were going to be catching a lot of flack for it. And that's exactly what happened. So, you know, they kind of tried to roll the dice here and it didn't work out for them. And, you know, in a game two situation where, like you said, you could have been up 2-0 and and now you kind of got too cute and you fumbled away a game. I mean, now it just makes this into a three-game series, which is really not what you wanted. You wanted to have that 2-0 advantage. So, yeah, I think the Yankees should have just played this, probably just played it straight up and tried to push for that 2-0 lead. And it's not an Aaron Boone decision. This was from the analytics department. The computer spit it out and said it. But it just feels like this was so myopic. It was so short-term where you now have to go into your final three games with what? It's going to be Tanaka in game three, which you have to win at this point. You cannot lose game three tonight. Or else you cannot afford to or else you're going to lose the series. And then game four, Jordan Montgomery's going to go. Are you going to give Davey Garcia another inning on or two on short rest? I don't think that's the right move. I don't think he's used to it. He's a starter. He's never been a reliever before. And now you're going to put him in an uncomfortable position. And then game five is going to be probably Garrett Cole on short rest, something he's never done before. So it feels like all these things are just going into, into a pot and you're just hoping for the best. You're projecting that these people, these pitchers can actually do what you, that you've never seen them do. And that, to me, is the, the biggest disappointment because Garcia could have, could have gone out there and thrown four innings and given up five runs, and maybe you don't win this game, but you're saving your bullpen and your arms for down the future. Because in game four, how much better would this sound, Luke? You let Jordan Montgomery start. If he struggles, you say, all right, Jay Happ, you're going in there. Or vice versa. Jay Happ gets to start. If he struggles, you know, short chain, pull him out, throw Montgomery in there. Yeah, but the one thing I'm really not that worried about is the bullpen usage right now. Like, I, I really don't think yesterday was as much of a setback as people were talking about. I mean, you you used Adovino, who's been really your worst reliever this year, uh, Loizaga, Holder, and Nelson. Holder and Nelson looked really good, but you didn't use any of your big guys. So if if Tanaka goes out tonight and gives you six innings, you know, you still have Chad Green, you have Britton, you have Chapman, then you need one more inning out of anyone else. Like, I'm not, I'm not really all that worried about the bullpen right now. I'm more worried about the starting pitching situation. But I mean, for, for tonight, it's a lot to fall on Tanaka. But I mean, even looking beyond the pitching last night, that was just the Yankees lineup didn't show up. I mean, outside of John Carlos Dan, it was pretty it was pretty disgusting. They struck out 18 times out of their 27 outs. And I feel like the lineup is getting a big pass here because, you know, they did put up five runs, but four of those were off the bat of John Carlos Dan. They weren't seeing pitches like they usually have. They weren't working counts. And I think that the lineup almost got a little bit of a pass just because of the decision-making that happened with the pitching staff. And, and this was a winnable game. I mean, say what you want about the decision-making on the pitching side. They give up seven runs. That's not good. But we've seen home runs and, and runs in general in this series and over the course of most of the playoffs, there's a lot more runs being scored. That's just kind of what's been that's been the, the trajectory of the playoffs. And for this lineup you know you're facing Glasnow who's one of the best pitchers in the league but you've got to figure it out you really do and I don't know how much blame you put on the lineup versus the play of of Glasnow because he was just spectacular 
But th- there is a certain thing to Aaron Judge going 0 for 5. For DJ LeMahieu, he goes 1 for 5, which is just, it's just not good enough. When you're DJ LeMahieu and you're the, the, the star of this team right now, you've got to be better than 1 for 5. You know, same with Judge. Hicks had a great game, 1 for 2 with 2 walks. You look at a lot of these pieces and they've got to contribute. It can't be the same thing time and time again. And when I look at Gary Sanchez, 0 for 4, he hasn't gotten a single hit this entire postseason. You know, he hasn't played a whole lot, but is, is he the option still? Like, and I don't want to criticize him because the entire lineup wasn't great. But it just feels like this was a team that could have done more. And what's also very interesting, though, is in, analy- in analytics, you're able to strike out more. They don't hate the strikeout in analytics, but you also want to put the ball in play. You want to test the, the, the fielders. And if you know if they make a mistake, they make an error. Then go ahead, go ahead. You got an un- you got an unforced error and a guy on first base. Yeah, and I mean Sanchez, he did have a good game against the Indians. He hit the home run. He had the the t- game tying sack fly. But last night was was rough, and I think we'll see Higashioka back in there tonight. But yeah, I mean the strikeouts are fine, but the issue is when you're in the ninth inning and you have first and second, and you strike out three times. You know, two times in a row, and Judge basically struck out. I mean, he took two awful swings and then grounded out to third. Like, that that's really where you have to be putting the ball in play. When you have the tying run at the plate, uh, you know, DJ gets it done with the RBI single. Then you bring up the, you know, Aaron Judge, who, you know, you got to put the ball in play in that scenario. You can't ground out to third, and you, you can't take two bad strikes to start the, the at-bat. So I think that's the biggest problem for the Yankees is – they're situationally, they haven't been great. They weren't great yesterday. They have been great in the, these playoffs. They've been good at moving runners. Uh, they've been good at getting on base. It's just, it seemed like last night, everything was kind of out of whack for them. And that was a big game. I mean, at the, you know, if you look at a divisional series, if it's played in, you know, say they played these first two games on the road, you want to split those first two games on the road. So, you know, it's not over yet by any means, but when it feels like that game could have been one and could have been a two nothing lead going into tonight, I think that's why, it looms so large right now. And you're also playing a really good Tampa Bay Rays team that has three very strong pitchers. And I think that's more or less my biggest concern is when you look at the the schedule and you look at who you're going to have to face, you're not facing, you know, a, a pushover as a pitcher. You're facing a really solid one. I'm trying to pull up the probables tonight. I haven't gotten to look at it just yet. But you know Tanaka's going to give you ideally really good stuff. But he's facing Charlie Morton, and Morton's been re- really good historically. You know, maybe this year he's got a, a pretty high rate at four four point seven four, but historically he's a real solid pitcher. And do you want to risk a one one series where now if you lose this game tonight, I truly believe the Yankees are going to lose the series in four. I don't think you can afford to go down in this series against the Rays, a team that has so many relievers, that has so much depth on this team. Whereas for the Yankees. Just it's crazy how quickly a strong bullpen turned into a weak part for them. Where you've got you're still you've got your top tier guys, but it feels like there's no one to bridge the gap from, you know, inning six seven to get to those guys. Yeah, that's why I think the loss of Tommy Canley was just so big early on in the year to Tommy John surgery because he's, you know, he's a guy that can bridge the gap. He can pitch in really high leverage situations. Like it felt like if the if the Rays had runners on base and less than two outs you know who are you going to I mean you want to go to Chad Green but once you burn him up there's no one there for the later games like the guy that you need in that situation is Adam Adovino and he's been so bad he's been wild he's been out of the zone he hasn't been getting strikeouts at the rate that he usually does 
So really, like you said, not being able to bridge that gap is tough. And I like Loisaga. I think he'll be okay. Uh, I thought Nick Nelson, but I mean, again, he's he's a kid. He's a rookie. He looked okay. Uh, he looked solid last night, but not really in a much of a high leverage situation. They're already trailing by three runs by the time he gets in the game. So they've got to be able to figure out who's going to be that guy. And it doesn't seem like they have an answer right now because there's so many of those righty types, you know, like Adovino, like Holder, like Loizaga, uh, like Nick Nelson. But none of them really stand out and none of them really give you, you know, a guaranteed three outs. So it's going to be really interesting to see how they maneuver the bullpen. And you need Tanaka to go six, seven innings tonight. You need him to be nails. And you know what? In, in game uh, two of the ALDS or the wild card series, four innings after the rain delays, I think is a good sign for him because I mean, without the the weird happenings, I think he could probably go six in that game. So you you just need Tanaka to be absolutely nails tonight. You're doing, you know, I wonder how much the whole entire the you know the unusual circumstance this season, the the COVID stuff affected a guy in Adovino because. There, there's no other real to me. There's no other real answer. Is how is he able to? How is he just so so rough? You know, I, I think that's part of the issue. And also, I look at a guy in Tanaka, and I'm just looking through his, his numbers. He's pitched more than six innings. Oh wow! Sorry about the the ad there. I don't know if you heard if that caught on the mic. No, I didn't catch anything. Oh, it did. Why well, was blasting my ear? One of those. Uh, <laughs> oh, who is it? The guy that he's the guy on a blackish. The the main host. His ad just absolutely just blared through my ears. So I've got to refine the Tanaka stat. And then, Luke, we'll, we'll head to a break. Let me just find it real quickly. I think the, the point was he's thrown seven innings only once this entire season. And the question is, can he go that depth? Is Ken Tanaka muster up the, 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 the courage? Does he have, not in the courage, but does he have the, the energy to go a full seven innings, especially in such a high leverage position? And that's my one concern for a guy like Tanaka is we haven't seen him do it all that much. He's such a talented pitcher. I'm sure he can figure it out. But does he have the arm strength? Does he have the the stamina this season with everything that's gone on to pitch a full six, seven innings? Yeah, and, and that's the biggest question. Especially, I mean, if he gets jumped on early, I think the Yankees are in big trouble. I mean, they'd probably have to go to Montgomery at that point and then pray for whatever you're going to do in game fours. Because you don't really you, you don't can you know go to Garcia on back-to-back nights since he only pitched 30 pitches. I, I actually, I wouldn't be surprised if Garcia starts game four. I don't think he'll pitch tonight, but I wouldn't be surprised because guys throw pitches, you know, two days before a start. They have throw days. So if Boone was kind of using that as a throw day and then using him in game four, I wouldn't be too surprised if that happened. But again, it's, I, it's I a, hate that idea. I'm sorry I'm cutting you off, but you're using it as a throw day, but he's playing actual pitching or actual batters. He's facing real people. He can't just mess around and... And you know, work on his curveball in a playoff game. You know, he's got a, he's got. A, it's a higher pressure situation. I understand the idea of a throw day, but you can't you can't make your throw day in the playoffs. That just to me doesn't make any sense. You're listening to the Watling and Owens podcast, sponsored by WNYO eighty eight nine, the Laker Radio Network. Welcome back to the Watling and Owens show. And as we teased before the break, Adam Schefter tweeting just moments ago, just one minute ago, actually, Sam Darnold will be out. Uh, this weekend against the Cardinals, Joe Flacco will start. And, you know, I think this is a good decision by the Jets. I mean, it seems like every injury this year they've handled kind of poorly. And, I mean, who knows if leaving him in that game made that shoulder even worse because it was his throwing arm. But he's going to miss the game on Sunday. Joe Flacco will start in his place. And, I mean, this is just tough news to swallow, I think, if you're if you're the Jets or a Jets fan because – 
you know, Donald coming off a strong performance against the Broncos, and you think he could replicate against the Cardinals defense that hasn't been as good. You know, he kind of got thrown in the fire early against good defenses. Now he's kind of a little bit of a lull in the schedule for the Jets, and just unfortunate news that now that with his shoulder injury, he's not going to be able to go uh, this weekend. It, it is unfortunate because you look at the the game, and it's just a chance for him to continue to grow. And you know, it come, it brings back to the question of you know, is he injury prone? And personally, I think a lot of these injuries are kind of flukes. You can't really predict getting mono. You know, with the situation with the, the sprained shoulder, I mean, his offensive line just didn't protect him. He was slammed down to the ground pretty viciously, and you know, it was it was a tough break. From all things I've heard, the the playing with the sprained shoulder isn't as bad as it could be. You know, you can definitely play through it, especially if you're just running on adrenaline alone. But I definitely agree with the decision. You've got to err on the side of caution. You want to make sure that he's okay and 100. percent But the, the, the biggest issue is is this might take a couple weeks to just of just resting and and not doing anything for a guy in Sam Darnold. And this season now has come down to is Sam Darnold good enough to be your quarterback for the rest for the future? Especially considering, you know, Joe Douglas never drafted him. You know, it's not his quarterback. This is kind of his coach. And we could see him out up until the New England game. You know, it could be four weeks against a good Buffalo Bills defense, a Kansas City defense, you know, a Chargers team in week six. Plus, you're, are you going to start him on Monday Night Football against the Patriots in his first game back after a couple weeks? He's going to get slaughtered. So there's just so many concerns with it, but... At the end of the day, you've got to sit him out. We've seen so many issues, too, with the Jets, Luke, with injuries, as you mentioned. Last year, even the Coletio Assembly debacle where he was saying, you know, the Jets were forcing me to play. You know, I wasn't ready. I didn't trust their doctors. And then you had Mekhi Becton playing with what could have been a torn labrum on Thursday night, which to me is ridiculous. You cannot play your most important piece with a torn labrum. You just you can't do it. You've got to let him rest. You've got to let him heal. And I guess the reason they do that is because without him, look how – Rough it was on Sam Darnold. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of the, the catch-22 here. And, I mean, for Mekhi Becton, if he's unable to go, Le'Veon Bell, just uh, it was just announced that he's practicing today for the Jets. So if he's able to come back this weekend and Mekhi Becton doesn't play and Sam Darnold doesn't play, it's like, you know, one thing after the other for this Jets team. And a lot of it, I think, does point to Adam Gase because, look, if Le'Veon Bell doesn't come back in that week one game, in the second half, maybe he's able to go earlier. You know, if Makai Becton is, you know, sits out that game, you know, in full and, and maybe the offensive line can gel a little bit more without him, but then Sam Darnold gets hurt. So, there, you know, the excuses are there for, for Gates, but at the same time, I think that he's he's messed up every decision so far this year. And frankly, it's an, I think it's an embarrassment to the Jets organization. Like, I don't think as, you know, a Jets fan or even just as an analyst of this team, it's embarrassing to see what Adam Gase has done with these injuries, with these guys that, you know, especially in Sam Darnold and Mekhi Becton are your young pieces. And in Le'Veon Bell, who's your your cash cow, the guy that you paid to come be a free agent. And to see the, the utter disregard for, for them as, as people and as players, I think is embarrassing for Adam Gase and, and for the Jets. There's there's no way in my mind that he should he should even be the head coach right now. But he shouldn't last past this year because why would any free agent look at this situation and say, oh, Adam Gase, he, he's not going to take care of you. He's going to want to play you through injuries. He's going to want you on the field because it seems like all he cares about is, is trying to keep his job, which is fine in some vein. But in the other is look at all these young guys. The injuries are just piling up for them. But also, I I don't think it's as strong or as negligent as you're you're saying, Luke. 
Because Sam Darnold pretty much said, look, I wanted to play through it. And you're not going to risk further. But why is he allowed to make that decision? But because you're not going to get injured any further. You know, you sprain your shoulder. It, it, it sucks. It hurts. But you're running on adrenaline. You're, you're put in this situation. You're ready to go. Why do players play through injury? You know, why are cortisone shots a thing? You know, why was Tyra Taylor getting shot for his cracked ribs to play? Could he have been playing with a cracked rib when you've got Herbert sitting in the background? No. But, like, guys play through injury. And it's not the right thing, but in the game, Sam Donald on adrenaline didn't feel it. And if he wants to go out there and play, go ahead. You know, for, for Lev Bell with a hamstring injury, that's a soft tissue injury. You can't really predict how Bell is feeling. He, he's got to tell you that. And Bell's a guy that wants to play. He wants to get rushes. He wants to build up his, not his stats, but he wants to play the game. For Beckton, I think it was ridiculous. But also, we don't even know what the injury is for Beckton. I mean, that was all sources telling you know, Rich Samini what the injury could be. You know, maybe, maybe on that one, I think it's it's a bad call because I don't think Beckton should be playing. He was listed as an emergency backup. You really thought that that's your best option? A guy that's playing with the shoulder brace? That I agree, I think is, is ridiculous, but maybe you don't know the magnitude of the injury. And I'm, and I'm still, I still think that in on the Bell side, you know, you should have figured out during halftime or back at week one, whether or not he's actually healthy. You know, go make him run sprints down the field and see how he looks. Stuff like that. For Darnold, I think it's fine. Let him play with the shoulder. But when you come back and you get the diagnosis for this game, he shouldn't be playing because the only thing that this can that can heal this is rest. And resting hat, you know, for a half on a Thursday night game probably isn't giving you enough rest. You know, you're probably going to want to get. You know, you can probably play that game and it won't affect your your weeks further down the line. I don't know. I just I'm very anti letting players decide if they want to play because obviously they're going to want to play. But that's just my thing. Is you know obviously. Lev Bell's going to want to go back in the game. Obviously, you know, Mekhi Becton wants to play. Sam Darnold, sure, whatever. But now, I mean, you're going into a game already 0-4, and you have Joe Flacco starting, who, I mean, he went 2-for-2 two two with 16 yards last game when Darnold was out for a little bit. But, I mean, he hasn't been great. He was 2-6 in 2019 as the Denver quarterback before getting benched. He was 4-5 and five with Baltimore the year before. I mean, the good news for the Jets is I think he's better than the the garbage that they rolled out last year at backup quarterback. But, I mean, I don't know. I think the worst-case scenario for the Jets would be Flacco balling out on Sunday because I could see Flacco winning a game and the Jets and Adam Gase being like, he's our starter. Like, I could genuinely see that happening. I really could see that happening. I I think Joe Douglas would step in at that point and take control and say, no, Donald's coming back when he's healthy. I don't see how Sam Darnold loses a job to Joe Flacco when you don't even know what Sam Darnold is. And I, I do think, and I was going to say, Lou, you kind of stole my thunder. I was going to give you a little hot take saying that I could see the Jets winning this game on Sunday, just the way that the Cardinals have been playing. You know, the, the, the Jets seem due for something. You can't go 0-16. Well, you know, maybe you can, but I think that you've got to, you know, I don't know. But then you don't have Mekhi Becton, so they probably won't win, but they could. You know, they could surprise some people especially the way Arizona's been playing kind of as, as frauds the last couple of weeks. But there's no shot in my mind that I see Joe Flacco starting more than four games or until Darnold gets healthy. There's no shot he's, he's the start of the rest of the season. Because if you do that, then you're, then you're drafting Trevor Lawrence. And you're probably going to fire Geese. And you're probably going to send Sam Darnold into the sun. And I don't think that's happening. And then you have to restart everything. I, I Maybe that's what the Jets need, though. Maybe they need to fire Gates. Maybe they need to get rid of Darnold. Maybe they need to bring in a new coach and a new quarterback in Trevor Lawrence because it just seems like everything, you know, it's not like it's Sam Darnold's fault, but everything during the Sam Darnold era hasn't gone well. Like, it, it really hasn't. And you don't want to have to rebuild once again, but 
You're 0 and 4 on but the you're year. You're still rebuilding now. So yeah, saying which is yeah, I mean, you don't have so any start pieces. it over. Start it you're, over. You're not even starting over. It's like you. It's kind of like you. I'm trying to think of a good comparison. It's kind of like you started building with blocks. Like you tried to build a house, and instead you just built like you just put like a square on the floor of bricks. Like that's all the Jets had. They don't even have a foundation. They just have a square block on the ground. So call it a rebuild. I think they're still building. So you might as well tear it down further. If you get that the first overall pick. You're right back where you started three, four years ago when you drafted Sam Darnold. And you might be in a better spot with this guy because he's going to be younger on a cheaper deal. You know, a guy that's not broken from playing terrible in the NFL for three years. And hopefully you get an actual uh, head coach that can teach you as a as a quarterback. Because if Sam Darnold goes on to his third offensive system in, in four years, that's a problem. I mean, he could be the smartest quarterback in the world, and it's still going to take time. It usually takes, what, close to a year of learning a system? Plus, we don't know what COVID's going to be like during the offseason this year. What if he can't meet with the, with his with his coaches? What if we're still doing Zoom interview, Zoom meetings because they find out, oh, it's more efficient or cheaper to go have the meeting you know, at our home instead of in person? Then how is he going to deal? It's probably even harder for him to read the playbook and actually learn it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of a mess with with – the Jets right now. I mean, we've talked about it all year, but it felt like going in, at least, you know, I thought in the beginning, at least we were just going to be talking about how the Jets weren't good at, at football, but it goes off the field as well. And I think that's the biggest issue from an organizational standpoint. And I like Joe Douglas as the GM, but he's going to have to, he's got a lot of maneuvering to do himself. I mean, if the Jets get that top pick or a top two pick, you know, what are they going to do with it? Are they going to trade it for, you know, some offensive line help or, or something, or are they going to, you know, keep that pick because I think you might want to flip a top three pick at this point because if you can get a bundle of other picks, that's how you rebuild. You're not going to rebuild with one pick. I think if you have the number one pick, you take Lawrence because I think he's head and shoulders the best quarterback we've seen coming out of college in, in quite some time. But if you're a top three, that's not the number one pick. I think you trade that for a bundle and you try to rebuild that way. And you trust that maybe Sam Darrell can improve if you actually surround him with some talent. But also, just how, how sexy is trading the number one pick for five first-round picks from Jacksonville or whoever? You know, how, how glorious does that sound? Because you still haven't built anything around Sam Darnold. So are they going to keep bashing their head through, through the window or through the wall and just trying to make Sam Darnold work? Or are they going to move on? And Sam Darnold looked really good on Thursday night. He shows flashes of brilliance. And I really wonder, is he trying to just do too much? Because this is a team that has nothing and how can you expect him to minimize and minimize mistakes when he's got to go out and play hero ball every single drive pretty much yeah and i mean look i think if anyone i just think if anyone passes up trevor lawrence they're gonna look back in five years and and be pretty disappointed like i I just don't think i mean i get the jets don't have weapons and bringing lawrence in right now probably doesn't change all that much but i mean you know, even, you know, Joe Burrow and Cincinnati has some decent weapons, but I mean, he got, he went to Cincy and they already look like a much better football team. Like you can't win games without a franchise quarterback. And I'm just, I'm very, to be honest, I'm, I'm close to being out on Sam Darnold. I just, I, everything I've seen from him, it's like, okay, I see flashes, but I've not, I haven't seen any consistency out of him. And, you know, we can talk about the weapons all we want, but at the end of the day, he just, to me, I don't want him leading my football team. Like he just doesn't. He doesn't bring enough to the table for me to be deemed a franchise quarterback. And going into what next year will be year four, it's like, what has he done? He hasn't really done much of anything for you. And, you know, I get it. No weapons, bad systems, bad head coach. 
but I just don't think he's going to work out in New York. And, and that's the biggest thing for me. Maybe he'll go somewhere else and be fine. But I think as long as Sam Darnold's in New York, it's not going to work out well. To, to me, I look at it and I say, look, the, for the, for the jets and rather for Cincinnati, they've got such a better option at wide receiver several that it's hard to compare the two. And yes, that offensive line has been really bad, but, Right now, I would take the weapons that Joe Burrow has over the weapons that Sam Darnold has, and maybe that's wrong. You know, maybe I'm wrong. No, you're right. You're 100 percent right. And and I mentioned, but is that but too. is that a fair excuse? I mean, you got a rookie quarterback playing better than Sam Darnold, and yes, he was number one overall pick, and yes, Joe Burrow's a special guy, but also they still haven't won many games. Cincinnati, or what are they? One, two, and one. That's a win and a tie, baby. Oh, that's one more win than Sam Darnold has this year, and one more. But is it Sam Darnold or is it somebody else? I mean, I just, he doesn't win football. To me, like everything I see about him, he does not win. He does not win you football games. That, that's just how I see it. I don't think he wins you football games. And I think that's a problem if you want him to be your franchise quarterback. I get that. But also it, it happened. Like you, you move on. Like this is a guy that I think you have to trust. And do get, like, do you let him give a chance? Like he was categorically better than a guy like Josh Rosen. He was better than him in college. Are you giving up on him like they gave up on Josh Rosen? You know, who are other like young quarterbacks that have been given up on? You know, I look at Geno Smith, he's terrible. You know, he's not a guy that deserves to be to be looked at. To me, Sam Darnold still has this this something. And there's obviously something the experts, you know, Dan Orlovsky's of the world, that like about Sam Darnold. And I want to know what it is because he he shows flash of brilliance. You tell him about losing football games, but this defense is horrible. You know, the offense is not very good around him, and he still makes brilliant plays, at least one or two per game. And I get that it's not consistent. But if you have that something, is he lucking into these 50-yard touchdown passes or the one he had to Braxton Barrios where he scrambles all around or the one last year to Bell when he runs all around the field? Is he lucking into these things or is he this good? Yeah, but I mean, it's just not consistent. Like, you can pick out any NFL quarterback and say, look at these three plays that he made. Like, they're NFL quarterbacks. They're going to make special plays. But the lack of consistency to me and, and missing throws and missing reads is the biggest problem for me. And, I mean – Obviously, we're not really going to know any of this until either the Jets get weapons or the, or Sam Darnold leaves. And I don't know if either is ever going to happen. I don't know. I just for me, if I'm a Jets fan, I'm 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 kind of done with it. But again, it's just it's just one man's opinion. I don't I don't know. I'm just I feel like we've thrown out every excuse in the book about this guy. And time and time again, he hasn't really proven to be a consistent NFL quarterback. But does he deserve the excuses? Are the excuses if they're valid? I mean, if you you could throw. Tom Brady in front of a bad team, and you see what happens. He's not a good quarterback. He never had weapons on the Patriots, though. Julian Edelman and Rob Gronkowski is good enough. A solid offensive line, a good defense. Yeah, he's had enough. He's had way better than Sam Darnold. I don't know. Julian Edelman and Rob Gronkowski for your entire for pretty much your entire career is a pretty good tandem of, of weapons. Yeah, I mean Edelman's fine, but I think even Brady made them look better. Like Sam Darnold doesn't make anyone around him look better. He really doesn't. Braxton Berrios. He's had okay. pretty good like, games. Two good Chris catches. Like, I, like, you're just not rolling out. I just don't. I don't but know. to me, in college, Sam Dahl was a better quarterback than Josh Allen. And I'm going to compare the two because Sam Dahl was great in college. He had one good game against Penn State in the Rose Bowl, and everyone overhyped him. I think that's what it boiled down to. And he's a USC quarterback. And he was fine in college, but I don't think he was, like, this messiah that people were talking about in college. I mean, every week I watched him, he – especially after that Rose Bowl game, he wasn't great the year after. Like, he really wasn't. And sure, he was better than Josh Allen in college, but 
that doesn't mean anything. Ohio State quarterbacks are great in college, and they're awful in the NFL. Like, it but just, the, it doesn't the point is, it's just. But we haven't. He hasn't even had a fair shot to me, and I think in in former GM Carl Neff chimed in and said, "Look, you know, I'd love to see him on a, on a better team, and you know, a different team, a better line, better weapons." And I think that's the only true test to see what we get in Sam Donald. But are we ever going to see that? You know, if no, the Jets if the, if the Jets cut him, does another team give him a shot? You know, I look at the Carolina Panthers. That's a really not a good option for him, but that's a team that could use a quarterback in a couple of years. You know, is he is he going to turn into just another, you know, a guy that flakes out of the NFL? And I feel like it's almost unfair for a guy in, in Darnold because he just, he knows the game. He's such a competitor. And say what you want, he's a good football player. Maybe not with the Jets, but I think that he should look and get a chance. But also you look at Trevor Lawrence and you say, well, let me bring it to you this way. I should add, and then we'll go to break. Do you think Sam Darnold could be a top 15 quarterback or a 15, uh, you know, a 10 through 20 quarterback in the NFL or a 10 through 15? Let's say. Sure. Sure. So if you get the top pick, you trade it, you create a top three defense. Can you run it back like you did with Mark Sanchez? But do you want Mark defense. Sanchez if you're the Giants? Like, do you really want I think want... he's better than Mark Sanchez. I don't know. He's got a better arm. Sure. So could you run it back with a slightly better quarterback than Mark Sanchez? Maybe maybe he's like a Ryan Tannehill type. If he can minimize mistakes, then that's a big difference. And and let's say you, you trade away Trevor Lawrence and all those picks and you don't like Sam Donald, there'll be another quarterback around. You could find another quarterback with the 17 picks you have. Maybe it's not a Trevor Lawrence type, but is it good enough? Is it a Carson Wentz? Is it a Dak Prescott? Well, Carson you know, Wentz is really bad. <laughs> okay, before this year, Carson Wentz. I don't know. You know what I mean? I, I, Can you find a good enough quarterback – if you have five first-round picks or four first-round picks in the 2021-2022 draft. I guess, I guess for me, I'm just kind of sick of sitting here and making excuses every single week for Sam Donald because it just it gets tiring. At the but end it's the day. same thing every week. The yeah, same thing it's is it's tiring. bad. And it's tiring. Like it, At the end of the day, like he's not going to – he just doesn't my, win my football My biggest game. issue, I think, with, with Sam Donald, and we'll end it here, is his yards per completion is like five yards. That's not on him. That it has to be something with a play calling. You should not be throwing five-yard passes every single time. And that's not him playing bad. It's just me saying, why, why is he not being shown and letting to, letting him do his entire thing? He's not playing as a full-on quarterback for some reason. And I think the limited play call has a big role in that. You're listening to the Watling and Owens podcast, sponsored by WNYO 88.9, the Laker Radio Network. Back on the Watling and Owens show, and we'll, we'll lead our way into a Wednesday edition of Odd Man Rush and, and Luke. I think I've got better stories than I had on Monday for you. So very yeah, excited they, to see. These they look through. good, but again, we we talked about Sam Darnold for so long that it's going to be you know how I mean, many got to rush through it. In here. We got to rush through it. We'll do our best. I think this first story is a great one to kind of just chime in on and, and send some love out to Russell Westbrook. He ended up leaving an eight thousand dollar tip for a hotel staff. He tells Bleacher Report they took great care of us, took the time and energy to do their job at a high level. That was the right thing, and I like to do the right thing. Just. An incredible, just a great story for Russell Westbrook. You know all the, 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 the stuff he says in in media about the game of basketball. The, the you know the clothes sometimes he wears, all that kind of funny stuff just goes out the window when you see him do something like this. Just a really good guy. Yeah, and I mean, I I bet a lot of NBA guys did this too. And the the cool thing is, Russ didn't leak this story. Like someone else, like he like they asked him about. It, he's like, yeah, I left a good tip. And I'm not gonna like you know I'm not gonna talk about the amount. And obviously, it gets leaked and everything, but. Be a great, it would be a great day to be a hotel cleaner and just see 8K on the on the nightstand. You know, I try to be nice if I ever stay in a hotel. Obviously, leave leave a tip and everything, but 8K is 
That, that's that's quite the day, and, and good for he was there for two months though. That's true. Yeah, that's a that's a long. But that time is a great thing to do. That's just a nice thing. You saw these, the you know the, the cleaning people. You know they they did end up sacrificing doing this. They weren't in the bubble with the players, but they had to be extra cautious. They had to do things that they no, no, wouldn't normally do. So just respect to Russell Westbrook. Yeah, it's got to be a great day when when you clean a room. You know, you clean the room, you put in the work, and you get a nice a nice eight thousand uh, dollar a tip for you for you and your yeah, family. That, that'll great. do something for you. And Brianna Stewart in the Seattle Storm won yet another title. This would be the fourth M- uh, WNBA title for the Storm. They sweep the Las Vegas Aces ninety two to fifty nine in Game Three. Thirty three point margin of di- victory is the largest in WNBA Finals history, and. Let's just talk about Brianna Stewart for a second. Two two WNBA titles, two Finals MVPs, only one of five to have two, four NCAA titles with UConn, and she's twenty six years old. Yeah, she's ridiculous. She's so so special at the game. I mean, I think when it's all, she's gonna be. I think she's gonna be the greatest women's basketball player of all time when it's all said and done. I mean, she's already on on the on the track. Shout out CNS. Shout out the uh, the Syracuse area. Brianna Stewart. You know. We really do produce the best talent around the uh, around the, the the leagues. Not really, but uh, shout out Brianna Stewart. Uh, I mean, just just incredible. All literally, all she does is win. Like at every level, she just wins every single championship. And to be that dominant through every level, I mean, it really reminds me of like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who dominated high school, college, and, and the NBA. And now you have Brianna Stewart, high school, college, WNBA. She's absolutely incredible. And I forgot to add in two other uh, championships. She had two gold medals at twenty sixteen. Olympics gold medal and then a 2018 FIBA Women's World Cup. So she's got eight championships in eight years. If you go back to 18 years old, and that's ridiculous. So impressive. Also, you talk about uh, some dominant women's basketball players. Sue Bird of Syosset fame and Seattle Storm fame has started for every single Seattle championship team in 04, in 2010, in 2018, and now today in 2020. And that that is ridiculous. To, to be playing in the league for this long is incredible yeah what a what a absolute like i mean to stay with the team for that long is is definitely i mean full applaud and now kind of sue bird who was the face of seattle for so long can kind of pass the baton over to brianna stewart so i mean what a what a what a cool story and and i mean to beat a team by 33 in the last clinching game of the finals is incredible and by the way shout out ryan ruka what a great uh call he had on that game so uh, a lot of shout-outs going around for, for the WNBA today. Yes, and we'll move over to the MLB playoffs now. Those are just kind of getting the full swing of things. And Ronald Acuna Jr., not too happy in his win over the Miami Marlins. It was a 9-5 win. He led off with a solo shot to start the game in inning number one. And S- Sandy Alcantara ended up hitting him on the left hip which, as Travis Darno put it, woke up the team. They rallied back down 4-1 at that point in the game, went at 9-5. And Acuna ended up saying uh, after the game, look, I looked over to the bench and I said it's been five times. At this point, I think we've grown accustomed to to it and it being him getting hit, which has been, you know, he's been hit the most times by the Braves. It's been five times in two years now. He wasn't too happy, but Luke, I don't see this being intentional. I, I hope it's not intentional because, I mean, it just doesn't make sense from a from a baseball standpoint, but... Man, I want to root for the Marlins so bad, but there's there's such babies when it comes to this. I mean, most of the times that he's getting hit and, and the Braves are getting hit by them is on purpose, which is just I think it's ridiculous. And just because a player is you know celebrating that he hits a home run or you know flashy and stuff like that, he gets plunked. I think it's just so dumb. I think it's so bad for the game of baseball to try to limit 
your young stars like Acuna, like Tatis Jr., like Juan Soto. And for him to get thrown out, I think is ridiculous. You know, I hope it wasn't on purpose, but man, it just, it makes me, it makes me mad when, when stuff like this happens. And Alcantara said something just so ridiculous to me. He basically said, look, I didn't mean to do it. The plan is to pitch him inside. He's not a great inside hitter, which is fine. But then he goes out and says, if he's ready to fight, I'm ready to go too. Why, why bring that up? Why bring that up? Yeah, it's stupid. He didn't want to fight. He took a couple steps forward and yet got heated. But why would you say that? It, it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, it's absolutely stupid. And, you know, it's obviously a rivalry. And we've seen it with Rays, Yankees. We've seen it across the board. But I hate to see guys get plunked. I think it's the dumbest thing ever in baseball to get thrown at. Yeah, we'll bring up a couple stories here from the NHL. We'll start things off with the Sudbury Wolves center, Quinton Byfield, part of the NHL draft last night, becomes the highest drafted black player in NHL history when the Kings took him second overall. He said being in the record books for anything is definitely super special, but that especially, you know, my mom and dad didn't play hockey or didn't have too much knowledge about that. Kind of just growing the game together, it shows there's a lot of opportunity for everyone in the world that you can play a sport and be successful in it. More of this, more of this. I absolutely love this. I love to hear, you know, Evander Kane has been obviously, you know, very outspoken for, you know, having black players in NHL and and stuff like that. And obviously there aren't enough, obviously, around the league right now, but I think this is a great kind of step in the right direction. And obviously, I mean, it's on the merits of his talent. I mean, Byfield's going to be absolutely fantastic, uh, you know, for the Kings and, and for L.A. So I, I just I love to see this. I really do. And I think it's great for the game of hockey and, and great for the sport when, you know, you can have kids, you know, looking up to idols and saying, you know, I can I can you know, I can be an NHL player, too. So I, I love this for, for the game. Yeah. And you talk about the Vander Kane before he was the previous record holder being drafted fourth to the Atlanta Thrashers back in 09. Seth Jones in 2013 to the Predators was also fourth overall, but Evander Kane kind of giving him a congratulatory tweet. That's just awesome. And Byfield saying, you know, I want to get involved with some of the hockey and uh, diversity initiatives that Kane's been a part of, that the league's been a part of. And that'll be really cool to see as well, having a young superstar in L.A. and trying to just, you know, continue to grow the game for everybody. And we'll go with a couple stories here. And Luke, do you want to go with the, the, the Alex Trebek story or the who is this guy story. I'll let you pick. I kind of like the who is this guy. I love the Jeopardy, but the who is this guy is fine. All right, so we'll, we'll talk about the Jeopardy when we won't play the audio, but Alex Trebek announced the Senator's third overall pick, Tim Stutzel, out of Germany and, you know, had the whole Jeopardy, the whole Jeopardy bit. I wish there was a, a horn or an error, like error sound because, yeah. you know, <laughs> he didn't give us time to answer. You know, he didn't tell us when yeah. to stop, but that was really cool. Of course, Canada's own Alex Trebek. I should add yeah. that. And then we'll talk about Igor Chinnikov, the 21st overall pick to the Chicago, not Chicago, the Columbus Blue Jackets, excuse me. And pretty much no one knew who he was on the TSN desk. And that was my favorite story of the NHL draft. So let's take a listen. Igor Chinnikov. Right winger from the uh, KHL, Igor Chinnikov goes to the Columbus Blue Jackets at 21. Well, I'm sweating. That's completely off the board for me, i got to tell you. I had not done a lot of work in this guy, to be completely honest with you. I read something recently where he was starting to make some headway and really starting to make a lot of noise. But Futes, we're going to have to defer to you on that one because Jinnikov is not a guy I expected to go here. That is for sure. I think he's a Russian winger. Uh, Right side or left side? (laughs) He can play both. Mike Fira, do you have anything else to add? No, i got to tell you, I think this is the best because... 
I saw Sam looking through his papers. I saw Mike going through his papers. And I said, we are off the board. Yes. I was, uh, fuck So obviously, no one really knows who he is. My favorite part was Brian Burke, uh, one of the third boys, that says, I think he's a winger. He doesn't know which, which side left or right he plays when the, the host just announced that he was a left or right winger. And I think that's so funny. But also, who is this guy? Like, let's be real. He's not in the top 100 uh, picks. It was a huge reach. But there was rumors that he was putting up big numbers in the KHL, which started within the last month or so. I just love that. I like the guys that commit to not knowing it. Like, you know, sometimes you're on a broadcast, you want to be like, oh, yeah, like, you know, you BS it a little bit. But I love the commitment to just being like, I don't like, I don't know what my notes. That's I, I love that's that. Okay. No, I I'm saying like that because no one knows what's going on. It's not just one guy that didn't study. It's we don't know what is going on. So that's what I'm saying. I like that they committed to being like, we don't know this guy instead of being like, oh, yeah, he's fat. like, you know, making up some stuff. Like, I love it. They're just like, yeah, like, who is this guy? No one knows. Like, I love that that kind of facet because it kind of plays into what everyone at home is thinking, you know, who is this guy? So I love the I love the the kind of banter back and forth there. And Luke, we'll go with one last story. I'll just mention it. Henrik Lundqvist, projector, expected to sign with the Washington Capitals. So the Swedish journalist Johan Rylander reported on Tuesday. He's probably going to replace Braden Holby. He'll split time with the 23-year-old Ilya Samsonov. And that'll be a good, a good signing. I thought Colorado would be the option. But, you know, if he wants to win a championship, but can still play hockey, Washington's a great spot. You're playing with a 23-year-old. Hasn't been a starter just yet. It'll probably be, you know, maybe a 30-50, 40-40 type of split. And congrats to Henrik Lundqvist getting another job in the NHL. Yeah, he gets his games. I mean, him and Ovi on the same team. That's kind of that's kind of fun, you know. Two icons over the, you know, last decade plus. So that'll be that'll be fun to watch. And it's not like the Capitals are bad. I mean, I think they're gonna still be in the playoff mix and everything. You know, maybe not championship level, but I think they'll be in the playoffs and and they'll make a push. So you know, we get to see playoff Lundqvist maybe one more time. You're listening to the Watling and Owens podcast, sponsored by WNYO eighty eight nine, the Laker Radio Network. Welcome back to the Watling and Owens show here on a Wednesday as we finish up here. Obviously, tomorrow is football Thursday, but we talk some basketball. The NBA Finals, the Lakers take game four, 102 to 96. They take a three to one series lead. And obviously, you know, LeBron came back from 3-1 and we all know that. But usually 3-1, pretty, pretty safe in NBA Finals history. Uh, And game five will be Friday. night. It was a very old school kind of defensive game, which I liked. And one thing I want to talk about, because, you know, we, we might talk about it through the weekend, but game five is until Friday. You know, if LeBron James wins this title, what does it do for his legacy? Because to me, I think it, I think it counts the same as any other championship. I mean, you know, some people want to say it counts more because of the adversity. Some people want to say it counts less because of, you know, no fans and and no travel. But at the end of the day, I mean, I think whoever comes out of these bubbles with championships is, is impressive, just the resilience and, and stuff like that. So you know, I, I think this does a good thing for, for LeBron and his legacy. I I hate this conversation. And I know bring up and it's certainly a valid thing, but anyone that doesn't think he's a top two player in the NBA history in NBA history is a troll. That that's all yeah. there is. You know, top maybe top three or four, if you want to extend, you know, Kobe or whoever, I guess I'll entertain an argument. But if you're gonna uh, say if you're gonna say he's not better than some schlub that played like fifty years ago, I no, just stop yourself. He's yeah. a top three player in the NBA, top five if you want to say, okay, like, you know, the, the league club is is larger than him and MJ, fine, but anyone else is just trolling. Yeah, it's done. Anyone that doesn't have MJ and LeBron 1-2 in some capacity, and people can argue that to the end of time, but they have to be your 1-2. LeBron's my number one, but I understand, you know, if people want to say MJ, it's fine. 
but we'll move quickly over to the Yankees. We mentioned, you know, they, they kind of blow game two. Uh, some questionable decisions being made. But tonight, Masahiro Tanaka gets the ball uh, against Charlie Morton. Tanaka, you know, he's been great in the playoffs. He's been great against the Rays, 11-5, 3-1 ERA. Uh, Morton's been equally good against the Yankees, 4-2, 3-3 ERA. And, Matt, it's just so big that the Yankees get length and dominance out of Tanaka tonight. It is. This, to me, is must-win. You've got to put them on the ropes. Game four, I don't trust whoever's starting, whether it be Montgomery or Garcia. It just feels shady to me. And then for game five, you never know what happens if Garrett Cole can even pitch on short rest. We haven't seen him do it. So Tanaka's got to go out there and and stand strong. Something that's been also kind of interesting is even Garrett Cole didn't have a great start in game one. You know, he, he managed to get length, which is important, but he didn't have his, you know, elite premier stuff that we're used to seeing Garrett Cole have. Yeah, he hasn't really been, had that elite stuff. I mean, even his first start against Cleveland, again, gives you length, couple home runs, a couple runs. So we haven't seen dominant Cole yet. And, you know, he's pitched on four games before in his career. I'm not too worried about that situation. Uh, but I mean, with Tanaka, he gets the extended rest, which he's usually solid on extended rest. That's something you see in Japan. Starters only pitch once every six days instead of once every five. So I think for Tanaka, I think he's going to be comfortable going into tonight. And yeah, again, no crowd, no fans and stuff like that. I mean, he's just got to lock in. But the question is, if he gets, you know, if he gets beat up early, I think the Yankees are in a huge, huge problem. They, they're in big issue territory. Yeah, you, you hope that, I guess, Sessa is the guy that you put in there for a couple of hours. We saw what in, uh, in game two of the Indians series, but you don't want to go that route because for the Rays, they have a much better offense than the Cleveland Indians do. And you want to make sure that you're getting length out of Tanaka. You want to make sure that he's comfortable. And most importantly, you got to hope that it's not raining. And in San Diego, it doesn't rain all that much. But for the Yankees and Tanaka, you've got to hope that it holds off. And I'm, I haven't looked at the weather, but I'm sure it's holding off. San Diego is a, a sunny, partially beautiful place. Cloudy. Yeah. 77 so. partially uh, cloudy. So there Should we go. Nice. Should yeah. be nice. It's- conducive for pitching, but also condu- conducive for home runs. Yeah, I mean, that nice before dry, humid, not so humid heat. Before we end the show, I mean, Giancarlo Stanton's been fantastic. And, you know, good for him because he has so many haters just because of his contract within the Yankees fan base. And he has just been absolutely everything you could have dreamed for him to be in the playoffs so far. So he's got to keep that going. And his his counterpart, big, big bad Aaron Judge, needs to, needs to figure it out as well. He's got to be better, Aaron Judge, for sure. But Stanton, again, willing, willing this team to... You know, hopefully for them, win a championship. And if if they win the championship this year, I think the MVP could be Giancarlo Stanton in the playoffs at least. And does that make the the contract worth it? You know, did Onai make Erod's contract worth it? Yeah, that's the question. I think it did. You know, for the Yankees, you spend the money, you win a championship. That's all they can ask for.